So I started going to church regularly. <clears throat> I believe I was in the seventh grade. Just had a friend invite me. And once I got there, I discovered that a lot of kids from my small elementary school went there, and it had fun, so I started going. Uh, and I went most Sundays, we would go to Sunday school first, and the, then church. And that year, that first year there, I even went to uh, church camp at Lake Salatiska, just over by Pinckneyville, Illinois. If anybody knows where Pinckneyville or Nashville, it's kind of between the two. And um, that was the first time I ever went to a camp of any kind. It was really the first time I went anywhere without my parents, so that was pretty exciting in and of itself. Um, And it was probably at that camp that I first started to learn who Jesus was. It was the first time I got an idea of the gospel, that I was a sinner, that um, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for, for my sins, and that if I put my trust in him and gave him my allegiance, that I wouldn't have to suffer for my sins and that I would spend eternity with him. Now, for anyone who's ever been to church camp, you know there's a little bit of a phenomenon that takes place for most of the campers and, and even some of the people who, who work there. And it's that as you get into a camp, there is a, you start to feel a passionate desire to follow Jesus, to do basically anything that you have to do that will lead you closer to him. Uh, there, I've heard it called the camp high. You know, you're just so on fire for your faith. And um, I remember kind of making some, you know, promises to God. I'm going to do this differently when I get home and, and you know, make some changes in my life. I don't know what changes I needed to make as a seventh grader that were really any signif- of any real significance. Um, I remember thinking I'm going to read my Bible this year. And that was kind of my, I do remember making that little promise multiple years upon leaving camp. And I did the same thing every year. Genesis, okay. Exodus, all right. Leviticus, ooh. Try again next year. And that was kind of the cycle that I lived in. And, but what happens is you get all excited at camp and you think I'm going to change the world, change my life. I'm going to invite everybody I know to camp. And then you go home. And a couple days after being home, that really strong passion just kind of starts to, to fade away. And you end up kind of being back to being the same person that you really were when you went. And it wasn't that like I had given up on my devotion or anything to Jesus in the 51 weeks between going to camp each year. It was just that that passion, that excitement, that desire to do absolutely anything wasn't quite there. Jesus wasn't front and center in my life every day like he was at camp and like I was concerned or or assured that he would be when I left. And so I started to notice that this wasn't just a me thing. This happened to the other kids I went to camp with, the ones that were at my church. So we get back to Sunday school and youth group, and everyone's excited that first Sunday. And then it just kind of fades off to the point where some of them in my little Sunday school class, it even kind of looked like they didn't care about God at all when we got back. And then you go to camp the next year, right? And Monday, Tuesday, you're back in it. That passion is back, baby, and you're ready to change the world for Jesus. You're going to invite everybody you've ever met to church. You're going to do it all. You're going to tell everybody, right? You're ready to change the world. And those kids that were it, you know, that I went to Sunday school with who had their passion wane, boy, they're back into it. The kids who didn't care about Jesus three days ago, they're standing on chairs in the back of church camp belting out them worship songs. Everybody's like all in. And then you leave camp, and it goes away again. And you go back to camp, and there it is, woo, we're all on fire for Jesus. And I started to notice this strange little pattern of 
going to camp, and it's so great, and it's so awesome in this kind of environment that's all about Jesus, and then it goes away. And one thing I really started to notice that was, again, I wasn't mature in my faith. I was just trying to pay attention and learn, and I noticed one of the things they offered at this camp, I don't know what background uh, you grew up in necessarily. Some of you grew up in Christian church. Some of you probably Methodist, Lutheran, whatever, right? I, this camp was a Baptist background, and so one of the things that they would offer an invitation every single night, and some kids could give their lives to Christ. Um, they even had a moment for kids who felt like they were, gonna, were being called by God into full-time ministry. That was another one of the another portion of the invitation time. Um, but then they also had a, a time where people could come and rededicate their lives to Jesus, which was an incredibly popular option, as you might guess, for people like myself who, you know, felt like you were riding this roller coaster of highs and lows where you come back and you're like, oh yeah, I remember feeling this way. What happened to me last year? Not going to happen this year. I'm going to rededicate my life to Jesus. And, and I just noticed this cycle that, you know, the, a lot of the people who rededicated their lives this year, they did it last year too. And after I'd been a few years, I was like, wait, they did it the year before that too. And I just noticed the cycle. And I'm all for those moments of clarity where we realize, you know what, I haven't been serving God the way I should. I haven't been as passionate. And making a, a, a kind of a, uh, kind of putting this little banner on the road saying, of your life saying, I, I do need to rededicate my life and, and follow with more passion and, and obedience. But noticing this cycle over years, in my tiny little world of faith, which basically was going to church and then going to camp, I just couldn't help but wonder, is, our, is faith such a frail thing? Is following Jesus such a, a frail thing a, uh, that we needed kind of this secluded, once a year, all about Jesus environment to serve as kind of a booster shot to keep our faith? Is that really what it required? Why was it this thing that felt so impossible to keep and maintain once we left this beautiful little camping spot? And I, you know, I wondered, why, why outside of here did it often feel like trying to keep your faith in Jesus was like trying to hold on to a tree in the middle of a tornado? It just felt like, you, like everything was pulling you away and that you know, no matter how many promises I made to read my Bible and pray every day and do all these things, I, I, every year I left camp with this whole list of things I wanted to do, I'd get home and I might have done them for a week, maybe two, but it never was something that became a part of my life. So why is it that faith in Jesus often feels like this roller coaster ride of moments where we're really involved to these you know, really valleys where we are either drifting away into sin and bad behavior, or at the very least, apathy, where we just don't care as much anymore. What is the deal with those ups and downs that often accompany our passion for following and worshiping God? Well, today, we're gonna, as we answer this question, we're going to look at the Old Testament uh, prophet of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is an incredibly fascinating prophet from the Old Testament. And uh, Jeremiah, when he showed up to do his ministry... He, was, he, he came at a very pivotal moment um, in Israel's history. He actually arrived at the end of the, of the time when Israel would um, be an independent nation. So they were about to lose their status as this kingdom that God had placed them to be. And the story, and we've talked about this as we've gone through this kind of Core 52 stuff this year, the story is that God freed the people of Israel outside or out of Egypt, took them out of Egypt, freed them, allowed them to become like their own people, their own nation. And then he promised to give them this piece of land where they would be the nation of Israel. And he leads them to this 
this piece of real estate, and before he lets them go in, God kind of sits them all down and has like this define the relationship conversation where he says, okay, after you go into this land, if you obey me and follow me and stay faithful to me, I am going to basically bless everything you do. Nobody, no other of these, none of these other nations are ever going to be able to challenge you and win. You're going to always be successful. Um, your crops are going to grow. You're always going to have food. I'm just going to give you prosperity upon prosperity if you're faithful. But if you're not, if you can't stay faithful to me, then I'm going to take away all the things that I've given you. And whether that was their status as a nation that he gave them when he freed them out of Egypt, this piece of real estate that he was giving them that would be called the land of Israel, he would take that away. All the prosperity, God said, if you can't obey, I'm going to take it all away. And so then they go into the land, and Israel had this very familiar cycle of having moments, brief moments, of being very faithful to God, followed by these long periods of unfaithfulness. And it just seemed to be this very familiar cycle. And despite God giving them this warning from the beginning saying, if you're faithful, if you're not faithful, it's going to go really bad, they just struggled and they drifted away often, uh, very, very often. And the way this typically worked for them, what was one of the main sources of them drifting away, was they had all these other nations around them, and each nation had their own religious beliefs and own set of gods, and Israel would either adopt one of these <clears throat> religious beliefs or a kind of a hodgepodge and kind of pick and choose from these various nations, and they ditch God for these other religious beliefs. And then what would happen was God didn't want this to happen to them. He didn't want to destroy them and take everything away. So he'd send people and events to come in to kind of draw their attention back to him. Um, and sometimes he did that with, a, with kings. Sometimes he did it with prophets like Jeremiah. But then there would be these moments, if you look throughout Israel's history, where in the midst of these long patches of disobedience, there'd be these revivals where they would get rid of everything that hinted at these other religions and they would point their attention solely on God himself. But the, the revivals never seemed to be uh, very long-lasting. They were always very short-lived. And so Jeremiah's time as a prophet comes while the very last remaining part of Israel, because Israel's already been torn to pieces and, and messed up quite a bit, and there's this last little bit of Israel that is still a land, still has a king, is still doing their own thing, and they're about to be wiped out. God's about to use a bigger nation to come in to basically flatten Jerusalem and take a lot of the people away as prisoners and slaves. And Jeremiah preaches right before that. And it's kind of like God was saying, okay, Jeremiah, you're the last warning. You're the last sign these people are going to get, the last chance they're going to get before all of this comes to happen. And one of the most amazing things about Jeremiah was that not only did he preach, but it was more like his life was a living sermon. Like he was kind of a living, breathing sermon illustration everywhere he went. Uh, one of my favorite examples is in Jeremiah 13, where God tells Jeremiah basically to get a pair of, uh, get a, a linen loincloth, which is basically a, a fancy pair of underwear in that day. He says, wear it, put them on, and walk 350 miles, take them off, and bury them under some rocks, and come back. Like, I don't, that's weird, right? Like, that's a really interesting thing. Like, I don't know, maybe we need some more, uh, I, I said this in the first service, but like, maybe that's what, we, maybe I could use that to spice up my preaching. Maybe we need more underwear-themed sermon illustrations. But, but anyway, he goes, so then he gets back and some time passes and God says, okay, Jeremiah, now walk 350 miles, get them, 
and come back. And at that point, they were just in tatters. They had been just destroyed by being buried in the ground and elements and all that stuff, right? And the idea was to tell Israel, hey, these are you. You were supposed to be close to me. And because you haven't been, you're going to be sent really far away. And by the time any of you come back, you're going to be a shadow of your former self. And that, so his whole ministry was kind of not just sermons, but these weird sermon illustrations where he was living out what was going to happen to the people of Israel. Now, as you can imagine, because of the time in which he preached, and because nobody listened to Jeremiah, a lot of what he said was kind of doom and gloom, because the events of his ministry were very doom and gloom. But in the middle of all this doom and gloom, there was one incredibly hopeful promise, this really hopeful prediction that he makes in Jeremiah chapter 31, and I'd like to read that. Jeremiah 31, we'll just read a few verses, starting in verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. See, this isn't, when you put it this way, like, follow the rules and you'll be blessed, don't follow the rules and you'll be destroyed, like, that sounds kind of harsh, but when you understand God wanted them to follow and be obedient and be close to him so that they would have a relationship, he says, I considered myself their husband and to take care of them and to be there for them. And he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So Jeremiah preached this amazingly hopeful message in the middle of all this stuff about a new covenant. And the reason this is hopeful, that God's going to make a new covenant with these people, is because it kind of says, all this destruction that I've been talking about that's going to happen, that's not going to be the end of the story. That God has more for them on the other side of this tragedy that they're about to go through. And Jeremiah actually lived long enough to see that, that all take place. And, and so he says this new covenant is going to be unlike the old one in a couple of major ways. Um, one that he gets to in a few verses past what we just read here is that the weight of salvation is no longer going to be on the shoulders of the people. It's no longer going to be follow the rules to be in God's good graces. And, and Jesus came to, to free us from that, okay? In Romans chapter 8 and a bunch of other places in the New Testament, we learn things like this. It says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So pointing out, God's law that he gave us, that wasn't the problem. The problem was always us and our ability to follow the rules. I don't know, any of you, would, would you, any of you consider yourself like not rule-following people? Yeah, man, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that tracks, Marley. Um, but like, like, it's funny, like, we'll, there's certain ways where, like, me and Abby joke about this. You, you put us, her, Abby, in the arena of, of playing a game, rules, all day, all, all day long, right? You put Abby, when she's making food, no rules. Recipes, maybe a suggestion. I, it drives me nuts because we'll get something, we'll have something, or she'll make something, and we'll eat it. I'm like, this is great. What did you do? And she's like, no clue. Threw a bunch of stuff in the thing, and it worked out. Like, oh, great. You know, so it was never, like, write it down, man. What are we going to do? Um, so it's funny how, like, some of us, were rule people, and some of us aren't rule people. Some of us just see rules and use them, so like, I'm not going to do that. Like, you just can't help yourself, right? But there's this little rebellious streak in humanity, that said, and, and God is saying, 
That was the, the weak point in the law, that people stink at following the rules. And so he says, and so then it goes on to say, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So Jesus lived up to all that Old Testament stuff that we could never do. He obeyed it perfectly since we did not have the ability. So that weight of keeping the law is taken care of under the new covenant that Jesus brought us. The second way the new covenant would be different from the first is that rather than God giving a law code written on stone tablets, he says, I'm going to write this law directly on the hearts of the people. Meaning that God was finally going to deal with the thing that kept us from keeping the rules in the first place. Our selfish, corrupt, wandering hearts. And we learn in the New Testament that the way God does this is by sending his Holy Spirit to live inside of Christians, to start working on us from the inside out, to guide us and direct us and shape our hearts for the better. In the New Testament book of Galatians, we read this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Because the things we want to do typically aren't the best things. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, as I started out saying, one of the most common patterns I've seen among so many Christians is this continued pattern of having seasons where we are on fire for God, followed by seasons where we drift away either into sin and bad decisions or at least into apathy where we just don't seem to care. We just don't seem to be motivated to do much to uh, carry out our spirituality. And what usually will happen is there'll be a moment, a season, an event, a person, something happens in your life that kind of puts God back on your radar and you're like, oh yeah, I, I need to get back into this. I need to serve God more. I need to be a little more passionate about my faith, a little more obedient about doing the things that I know God wants me to do. Okay, and you try real hard saying, this time I'm going to do it. And then over time, your faith just kind of drifts off again. This is the pattern we see in the history of Israel. It's the pattern of most of the students I went to church camp with. It's a pattern I've seen in my life quite a bit. It's the pattern I've seen as a minister in lots and lots of people. And I think one of the main reasons why so many of us ride this roller coaster of ups and downs, and I care, no I don't, yes I'm in, uh, maybe I'm not, why we ride this roller coaster of devotion is because we are working with an old covenant mindset. The mindset that's about following the rules. I think so much of modern Christianity has become entrenched in this rule-following mindset. You know, we're told to make disciples as a church. You know, you help somebody, you lead them to Christ, and you teach them how to follow Christ. And the way we've typically done that is with rule stuff. Okay, no, you're, you're a Christian now. You got to read your Bible every day. You got to pray. You need to give. You need to serve in like every possible ministry that you can until you are so tired you want to die. You got to do all these things, and that makes you a good disciple. You're a good Christian if you follow all these rules. And those are just kind of the more generic set of rules that we give. Depending on the denomination you grew up with, they might have given you more rules than that because each denomination adds their own little flair to what it means to be a disciple. Um, sometimes uh, those rules are, you know, don't say bad words, at least at church. Uh, don't drink. Don't dance is one that some denominations have. One that was preached a lot uh, when I was kind of first exploring faith was sexual purity. I would guess from 
seventh grade to the time I got out of college, I heard over 100 sermons on sexual purity. Boy, they really, that's all the youth group ever talked about. It's all church camp ever talked about, it seemed like. And, excuse me, and what so many of us have kind of taken away and built our faith with is this idea that if I follow the rules, that's what makes me a good Christian. Follow the rules, God takes care of me. Follow the rules, God blesses me. Follow the rules, and God will save me. Do the right things, and I'm okay. I'm in good shape with God. But if we break the rules, look out, because then God might turn his back on you. But that is how the old covenant worked. That is not how the new covenant worked. That is not the framework that we were meant to live with. The old covenant is about following rules. The new covenant is about surrender. And that's a totally new and different way to think about it. In the old covenant, you worked to save yourself. In the new covenant, you surrender to the fact that Jesus did the work for you on the cross. Like everything I need to do, I need to be a good enough person. No, Jesus was a good enough person. He obeyed God because we stink at it. He kept all the rules because we stink at it. And so rather than us trying to keep the rules, we as Christians get to rest in the fact that Jesus has done the work for us. Um, The old covenant revealed how sinful the human heart was. That's what the rules were there for, to highlight just how corrupt and wrong we often are. The new covenant is about surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and in me to change us from the inside out. Now, if you've lived your whole life with a rules-keeping mindset when it comes to faith, it can be hard to get out of that because we like rules, a lot of us. It gives our lives some structure, and that's kind of how we look at things. We, we kind of go into any new environment. We try to understand what are the rules that we're playing here. You go to work. You get certain rules about how you act at work. You go home. There's certain things, rules you do to, you know, to, to navigate home and church and all that stuff. We all kind of just do that. I mean, when you're a kid, that's the first kind of stuff you start to learn. You know, don't Stick your hands in the toilet, you know, don't, you know, all kinds of rules that you get when you're a kid, right? Um, eat your food, all, all that kind of stuff, right? And so rules just kind of make sense to us. But I'll tell you, I spent a lot of years trying to live in this faith as if it was about rules and following those rules. And what I learned through a lot of failure was that I can't. No matter how hard I try, I will never be able to be the kind of man that God wants me to be. No matter how hard I try, I will always fail. I'm not going to be the husband I need to be. I'm not going to be the dad I need to be. I'm not going to be the friend I need to be. I'm not going to, I just can't be who God wants me to be. I've tried. And every time I have tried to to knock out all those rules and make my faith about a to-do list, all it led me to was disappointment in myself and feeling guilty that I failed God again. And so the freedom of the new covenant is about being able to surrender the work into the hands of Jesus. It's about realizing that the work that I've been trying to do, that you've been trying to do, it's already done. I can never be good. Jesus was good on my behalf. He did it. He kept the rules and he died to pay the price for every time you didn't keep the rules. And more than that, he sent his spirit to transform us from the inside out because I, I don't, I've never been around rules, any set of rules that had a transformative effect. I, it just doesn't work. Like, I keep them sometimes, you know, but um, I, usually it's begrudgingly and joylessly 
Rules just don't have that transformative ability. That's why God sent us the Holy Spirit. And so let me give you a better way to approach faith than waking up tomorrow with another list of things you've got to do, like read the Bible, pray, you got to do these things. Um, you know, we added one this year. We added that Core 52 book a lot of you got, you know, and so, oh, no, i got to read the Core 52 book. You know, uh, Abby mentioned the other day, oh, I'm a week behind. I don't know what am I going to do. And you can tell that, that little twinge of guilt in her voice, right, that we do when we get behind on things uh, that we feel like we're supposed to do to be good Christians, right? Okay, so let me give you a better way than waking up with the to-do list. Instead, we wake up and we lean on the Holy Spirit. We say, I'm, I'm probably not going to knock it out of the park today. I'm probably not even going to have the desires in my heart to do the right things today. And so we lean on the Holy Spirit. And um, I think the best thing we can probably possibly do is wake up most mornings and simply pray. And I don't, I don't tend to, I'm going to give you a little prayer, and I don't intend this to be another thing to add to your to-do list. I just think this is a, a better way to approach our faith. I think you need to wake up and pray, Holy Spirit, I want to do so many wrong things. I have so many rules that I don't want to follow. Please change my heart. Holy Spirit, take that sin that I love and replace it with a love to do what is right and good. That's a surrender mindset rather than a to-do list mindset. Because if you're going to go with a to-do list, you're going to fail, and you're going to feel like you failed God. But rather than realizing the work's not with me, God, Jesus did all the work, and then the Holy Spirit wants to do some work. And so we surrender to that work being done for us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit. And as daily you surrender your heart to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, what you're going to find is that over time, those to-do lists that you used to be really bad at doing actually are things you kind of want to do now. The things that you used to struggle to do are actually going to come very naturally. And what's interesting is it's not going to, for most of us, I've seen a few people that it was like a light switch, boom, transformation overnight. My, my experience has been, maybe, it's just, maybe I'm a real tough case and, and I really fight God more than I should, but my experience has been that the transformation takes place over a lot longer period and I don't always notice it as much until I look back on another season of life and go, oh man, I'm really changed from, when I, from who I used to be. Um, for instance, I remember... Um, in this college time frame of my life when I first got a job and it was really the first time I was making like decent amounts of money or at least amounts of money that made me feel rich. You know what I mean? That first paycheck you got, like didn't matter how small it was, right? It kind of made you feel rich. Like, and I remember going to church on Sunday and I knew I was supposed to give to the church and I'd write out that check and I'd always think, boy, I could do some fun stuff if I didn't give this to the church. I could, boy, that's a lot of gas for my car to cruise around with my friends. I could buy CDs. We actually had to buy music and a physical thing that we put into our car to listen to it. Our struggle wasn't texting and driving. It was flipping through that giant binder of CDs while we're driving down the road hoping we don't die. Um, but but I, could, I would always think. I couldn't help it. I would think, what could I do if I spent this on me instead of gave it away? And for, through whatever means, that has changed. I don't have that struggle anymore. Like, I give now because I want to honor God and I want to do the work, that, I want to help give to the work that he's trying to do. And sometimes that's to our church, sometimes it's to people outside of our church, missionaries and whatnot. Um, sometimes I, I, I give, or I, one of the reasons I give is because I know that I have a tendency toward greed. And giving kind of helps cut that off at the past by keeping God in the forefront of my finances. But I don't think about, what can I do with all this money? I don't, that's not my constant thought anymore. It just slowly, the Holy Spirit worked inside of me as I 
opened myself up to be changed. Um, I don't read the Bible anymore because it's a to-do list thing. That was a weird thing to give up. That was the hardest thing for me. That was like the number one rule that I felt like Christians should do, especially ministers. Read the Bible every day, and you got to read you know, um, this much to get through a reading plan. And I, that always just led me to guilt because um, I always pick ambitious reading plans. Um, and then it's like you got to read like 10 chapters in the Bible a day, and then you forget one day. Well, then you got to read 20 chapters in the Bible the next day. That's a lot of chapters, and that was, I was always done after that. And so... Now I've noticed I read scripture because simply that's where I learn about who God is. And that's where I learn about who he wants me to be. And it's like, so I open scripture being like, okay, God, what do you have for me? What do, you, what do you want to show me? How do you want to reveal yourself to me? And it's not this thing I want to check off a list. It's just this, okay, God, your transformation is in these pages. I want to surrender to that, and I want to know that. And that's a different thing. If I miss a day reading the Bible, it's not, oh, no, I didn't do something. God must be mad at me. It's like, oh, I definitely need to read it today because I know God. I get to meet with God. It's a totally different mindset that sets in when we have a mindset of surrender rather than keeping all the rules. And slowly but surely, you'll see the sins that you used to love lack their luster. You'll see the things that you knew you should do seem to be more desirable. And you'll love living in a way that honors uh, Christ and and tells more people about him. And so we got to fight away from this rules mentality. We got to fight against approaching faith from this old covenant mindset. Jesus died to give us something more beautiful, something much more kind and gentle and generous to us. So don't make your faith about following the rules because it is much, much more suited to be about surrender. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this chance you give us to be people who surrender. Our faith is a, is a daily chance to, to lay down our lives, to serve you, to honor you, and to be the people you've made us to be. And so rather than waking up every day thinking about all the things we've got to do, maybe we can just wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, work in me today. Holy Spirit, make me aware of the attitudes and, and relationships that don't honor you and help me to live in a way that, that makes them more honoring to you. Help me to let go of anger. Help me to let go of greed. Holy Spirit, help me to, to make those sins that I enjoy, help them to, to just not taste as good today and make your ways um, seem so much better. And so, Father, I just pray that we can be a people who are daily surrendering to you because I think if we make anything about our faith about a to-do list or rules or things we feel like we've got to do, uh, at least I, I struggle always seeking back or slipping back into that old covenant mindset and when my faith is about rules it's it's rarely something of joy it's rarely something of significant change it almost always leads to guilt and disappointment and shame when um, you came to free me from those things and so I pray that I would be able to find rest in the sacrifice of Jesus and surrender to the continuing ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in my life and I pray that we would all be able to do those things each and every day to feel the true joy of what it means that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he lived a perfect life because we couldn't. And so, Father, we're just grateful for the, the new covenant that Jesus came to bring. We're grateful for a better way that is more uh, gracious towards our brokenness. And I thank you, Father, for all that you've done in our lives and all that you're going to continue to do. I pray that we can be a surrendered people so that we can be a transformed and changed people.
pray all this in Jesus' name.